Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Let's open our Bibles to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Thank you, dear Father God, for the privilege of being in the body of Christ and living in a generation and an age such as we live in, where revelation knowledge has gone forth throughout all the earth like never before, when you by your Spirit have opened up the minds and opened up the hearts of your people to receive all that you have through the blood covenant. We thank you for it, and as the Word goes forth in demonstration of the Spirit and the power, you by your Spirit will cause the Word to be Alive within us to transfigure and transform us into your very image and likeness. We thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Hebrews chapter 10. In our first session this morning, we ended by saying that the Abrahamic covenant is now in full strength. The covenant with the added law because of transgression that was to lead us to Christ as a schoolmaster or as a teacher or as a tutor to teach the people of Christ, about Christ, and bring them to Christ. It was added to the Abrahamic covenant. The Levitical priesthood was set up and established. Provision was made for the sins of Israel. They could have their sins covered once a year for the whole year. The blessings then would come upon them. The curses, they wouldn't have any effect over them so long as they kept the covenant. Now, it's operating in full strength. Year after year, at the Passover, the high priest enters into the holies of holies to offer up his blood as a sacrifice, the blood of the lamb or the animal sacrifice as a sacrifice for the sins and the heirs of the children of Israel. With great precaution, he entered into the holies of holies, sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat, the heavenly utensils of worship. The Father came in the Shekinah glory, accepted the blood sacrifice, and covered the sins of Israel, and they can go for another year and be free from the curse. They had a promissory note on eternal life. They would have health. Sickness and disease would be taken away from the midst of them. They would have prosperity, and also they would have divine protection from their enemies. And these were all part of the blessings. Now... Year after year, this is going on. This is taking place. Year after year, 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 year after year. It just keeps on going on and on and on and on and on. Well, was it meant to be like that forever? No. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Let's read verses 1 through 4. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. So we come to a roadblock. We see here that this first covenant in its full strength has no ability to perfect those that were involved in coming to this covenant and could not provide the remission of sins. It couldn't do that. It could not justify them. It could not sanctify them in spirit. It could not remit and get their sins remitted. Could not provide the Holy Ghost. Could not provide miracles. Could not give them life. Could not make them righteous. There it is. That's the Abrahamic covenant in its full strength. Thank God for a better covenant established upon better promises. Now let's go to the book of Hebrews, the ninth chapter. These we see are the limitations. Okay, verse 8. If you recall, we read up to verse 7 about the high priest entering into the holies of holies. Now verse 8. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. In other words, the first covenant which had its worldly sanctuary in order of divine service As long as this was taking place year after year, year after year, year after year, year after year, 
the Holy Ghost signified in that that there was not, as of yet, there was not made manifest a way to enter into the presence of God. At least not while the first tabernacle was standing. Okay? Which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So he's talking, he wants to get the man perfect in spirit, not according to the flesh. Which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to, to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more? Here's your better things. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. All right. The Holy Ghost signified that the way into the holiest was not yet made manifest so long as the first tabernacle was standing. Now, the fullest... Well, the Abrahamic covenant is at its fullest strength right now, and yet these things ha cannot be accomplished. So we have to go to the new covenant and find out what Jesus was going to do and how he was going to make the way available into the holiest of holies. Let's go back to verse... Well, first of all... Hold your place there in chapter 10. Find Hebrews chapter 10. Go back to Galatians, the fourth chapter. Let's start tying some loose ends together now. Fourth chapter of the book of Galatians. The covenant is operating at full strength. Year after year they are continuing their order of divine service. It had its limitations. What's God waiting for now? Remember that the Law was to serve as a tutor or a schoolmaster to lead them unto Christ. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, if you recall, we, we said that adoption in the eastern countries, especially in Judaism, they adopted their own child. He was brought up by a, a, a governor or a tutor, pedagogue is what they were called, that taught the child until he was at the age of accountability and instructed that child so that he could know about the things of his father and know about the things of the law, the word of God, so on and so forth. And at the appointed time of the father, when the fullness of time came, the father said, okay, son. And they had their bar mitzvah. They had their big, you know, party, coming out party. They, beca they came, uh, became a man. And the father adopted his already legally born son into his family as an heir in the family now of all things, concerning all things. All right. So now the law is, is serving as that instructor under Israel. Israel, by this time... You see, should have been growing up to understand the things of God, to understand what Christ was going to do. We call it shadow Christology, to teach about the things of Christ. And at this time, they should have been grown to a place where the Father could look down from heaven and say, Okay, this is the appointed time. See, look at that verse 4 again. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman under the law. And Father was supposed to look down from heaven and say, Okay, this is the time. They're ready. We're going to adopt them now into our family. They are going to inherit the blessings. And as he looked down out of glory and said that he was going to do this because it was the fullness of time, Mary was on the other end saying some things, and Jesus was up there saying some things, or really Christ. And let's tie these things together to find out what they were saying. Now, go back to the book of Hebrews. The fullness of time has come. Year after year, year after year, year after year, they waited and waited and waited and waited, but now the fullness of time has come. It's now time to send the Son so they can have the adoption and they can be adopted into the family of God and they can be sons of the living God with all son privileges, rights, legal rights as a son, as a daughter. Okay? Verse 5. The fullness of time has come. 
Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you've had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of this book, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Now Mary's on the other end, at the fullness of time, and she, after the visitation she had from Gabriel, the angel, said, Be it unto me according unto thy will. And when she was saying, Be it unto me according unto thy will, Christ was saying from heaven, I've come to do your will, O God. I've come. You, you didn't have any pleasure in the sacrifice of animals, but you prepared for me a body, and I've come. I'm coming to do your will, O God. So you see, the fullness of time has come. Made born of a woman under the law. That was Mary. And at that time, he was saying this, Mary was saying that, and there was a conception that took place. She conceived in her womb the Son of the living God. Now, verse 9. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. He was going to take away all the first covenant, the tabernacle, the ordinances, and all the things that they did under the first covenant. He was going to put a stop to that, and they were not going to be children any longer, but he was going to adopt them into the family as sons by fulfilling that covenant and putting away that covenant and establishing the second covenant, the eternal covenant. Okay? Verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified to the offering of, of the body of Christ, Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies uh, be made his, his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness. Now over there in verse 8 of chapter 9, it said that the Holy Ghost signified that the way was not yet made available. But now look at this. In Jesus, when he came to do the will of God, he's saying here the Holy Ghost is a witness for after that he said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. The way was not made available under the old tabernacle. But bless God, there's a new and living way. And the Holy Ghost gave witness to the fact that there's a new and living way. You could enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. See, that's what he's saying here. Okay, by a new living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And that's what he's saying. You see, Jesus came to do all this. But now we've got to go back and find out how he was going to do it, how he did it, how he fulfilled the covenant, how he fulfilled the law, how he established the second covenant. Okay, let's go back to the fourth chapter of the book of Galatians again. See, Paul was explaining this covenant out in, in the third and fourth chapter of the book of Galatians. He was explaining the types and the shadows. He had the revelation given to him when the Israelites, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't even recognize Jesus when he came. They didn't recognize the Messiah. They were, at this time, supposedly to be grown up enough so that they can understand the things of God, but they couldn't even understand them. They set up an earthly kingdom. They thought he was, the Messiah was going to come and set up an earthly kingdom and make an earthly Israel, you know, power and nation. But you see, he wasn't coming to do that. He was going to set up a spiritual kingdom in the hearts of men in the earth. And they, they couldn't see this. So it had to all be revealed to the Apostle Paul. And now he's revealing it to the Jew, really to the Jews and Gentiles of this church, the Judaizers also, that were trying to undermine his work. He began to explain exactly what the first and second covenant meant. Now, let's, let's follow this closely in verse 19, or verse 21, rather. All the Abrahamic covenant can do was provide an avenue whereby the seed could come into the earth that could go into this, perf this eternal covenant with the Father, having the perfect blood. You see, the Abrahamic covenant can only go so far. All it can do was provide the avenue, provide the seed into the earth. It was not possible that Abraham, as a sinner man, could possibly mingle his blood with the Almighty God. Their blood would not mix. We're going to see this in this allegory. Look at verse 21. Tell me, you that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Or don't you know what the law says? Don't you understand the law? See, they were going back to live under the law. They were going to go back after they got saved and start living by the precepts and the ordinances of the law. 
The Judaizers came in to say, yeah, now you're born again, but now you've got to do this and don't do this and do this and don't do this and do that and keep the law if you're going to get perfected. That's why he said, are you made perfect by the uh, working of the law or by the hearing of faith? Of course, it's by the hearing of faith, not by the works of the law. And so he begins to explain to them that if you understand the law, you won't desire to be under the law. And he, in verse 22, it is written. And he begins to explain to them an allegory. Let's read it first and then I'll go back and explain it. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he was born after the woman, after the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou, rejoice thou, barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, cast... What saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty where Christ has set you free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. All right, now listen. Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was born through Hagar. It's a type of the works of the flesh. Ishmael stands for two, for one nation, the nation of, Israel, of Egypt. But the two sons together, Ishmael and Isaac, stand for the two covenants and the two nations. One stands for the works of the flesh of Abraham. One stands for the faith of Abraham. If we're going to talk about Abraham and the covenants, we're going to have to go back and see, could Abraham really fulfill that covenant? As a man, he couldn't do it as a man. So we're going to see that it needed, he needed Christ to make it an eternal covenant. So Ishmael was born through Hagar. Isaac was born through Sarah. Ishmael stands for Egypt. It stands for Sinai. It stands for the law. It stands for bondage. It stands for the first covenant. See, all these things came out of Abraham by the works of his flesh. You will recall that after the first time the Lord spoke unto Abraham, Abram at the time, he said to him, I'm going to make a mighty nation through thee and you're going to have a seed and so on and so forth. Well, Abram got a little bit nervous. He lacked patience. And because he lacked patience... He went to the world. He went into Sarah's handmaiden, into Ishmael, and attempted to help out God. You know, anytime you do some working in the flesh, you're trying to help out God. You know, God doesn't need your help. He needs you, your life, not your help. You see, Abraham's blood, think about this, was sin-stained. Abraham could not die for your sins. And any seed that Abraham would produce could not die for your sins because his blood was sin-stained. And we're going to find out how any, well, none of his children could have possibly atoned for your sins. So you see, if two, two can't walk together except they be agreed, isn't that right? And the blood of Abraham and the blood of, of God just could not mingle because one was in darkness and one was in light. They just could not mingle. But you see, here we have an allegory. And we're going to start to see how through Abraham, we're going to see both covenants. And also, we're going to see the two different types of the nations of Israel. So starting from Abraham, through his workings of the flesh, he produces someone called Ishmael. Ishmael is a type of Egypt, a type of the law, a type of bondage, a type of the first covenant. And that's as far as the first covenant could go was to bring a seed into the earth who would be able to go in the covenant relationship with the Almighty Father. And that was Jesus. Okay. Now, look over there in verse 23. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. 
So after the flesh, Abraham could not produce a seed. Abraham actually didn't have the ability, you see, because of Sarah and the age that they had come to be. He didn't have the ability to produce that child. She could not bear and conceive. So consequently, he, through the workings of the flesh, attempted to help out God, as we said, and could not produce anything other than bondage or the law. But you see, he that was born of the free woman was by promise. That's the faith of Abraham. Abraham, through Sarah, by faith, was able to produce a son. Now, first of all, it would do us good to note that in Genesis, the 17th chapter, I mean, Abraham at that, Abraham at that time was really lacking in the area of patience. And he said, would to God that Ishmael would stand before you. Remember, he told Sarah, Sarah, you're going to conceive a child after he changed her name from Sarai to Sarah. You're going to conceive a child, conceive a child and, and uh, you know, you're going to bear your own child and, and I'll raise up a nation through him. And I mean, Sarah laughed and Abraham laughed and they, I mean, they got hysterical. And then they finally, before God, Abraham says, oh, would to God that Ishmael would live before you. In other words, let it come through Ishmael. It's already done. What do you mean this business? hundred years old, going to have a baby. You see, he didn't want any part of that. But the Lord said to him, uh-uh, you're going to have your own child. It's going to be out of your own loins. It's going to be of your own seed. His name's going to be Isaac, and it's going to be this time next year. All right, let's look at the next verse. These things are an allegory. They stand for the two covenants. One from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. So through Hagar, all he got was bondage. Through the works of the flesh, he couldn't produce a seed. But by faith, he can produce someone named Isaac. All right, look at the sixth chapter of the book of Hebrews. And let's really expose the faith of Abraham in greater depth. And also, let's expose the fact that at one time, he didn't have much faith. He was walking in the flesh. It took the father quite a while to get faith built into this man. But finally, he did. Let's look at this here. Verse 12. This is covenant talk still. This book of Hebrews is talking about the covenant. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. But you see, here, Abraham, Abraham lacked patience and faith. He was working in the flesh. He actually sinned against God. He turned to the arm of the flesh. And didn't produce anything but, but the first covenant, but bondage. Okay, look at the next verse. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after that he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. You see, he wasn't just going to get the promise because he was Abraham. And he wasn't going to get the promise just because God promised. He finally learned how to patiently endure. He learned how to speak faith. See, God taught him how to live by faith. God taught him patience. And now, through faith and patience... He could bring Isaac into the world. But when he worked in the flesh, all he can get was an Ishmael. Yeah, it was his true seed through Hagar, but it was not what God had intended. So we can then see that the first covenant would be a types of the working of the flesh. A flesh, a man covenant who was a fleshly man, Abraham. Abraham was a flesh and bone man, wasn't he? He had human blood, didn't he? And the first covenant was a fleshly covenant. A covenant between God and a man. And those two bloods can't mingle. And even with all the faith that he had, he couldn't produce the seed. I'll show that to you. Abram, Abraham, rather, as far as producing the seed, it came by faith, who was Isaac. But Isaac, as the natural seed, did not inherit the promise. Not the natural seed. You see, the natural seed coming out of the loins of Isaac would be Israel, Jacob. But we also have a, another branch off of Isaac, Esau, and Jacob. One stands for natural Israel. The other one stands for supernatural or spiritual Israel. And as you put these things together, you can see how there's a parallel. We got Abraham in the flesh having a covenant with God, which could not be eternal without Christ coming as being the spiritual seed. Not the natural seed, but the spiritual seed of Abraham. Okay, now we're going to start to see some of these things. Go with me to the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter, 
you're in Hebrews there, the 6th chapter. Look at the 12th chapter. Now, Isaac and Rebekah, they had two sons. One Esau, we said, one Jacob. Now, Esau stands for natural Israel. Jacob stands for spiritual Israel. If you'll recall, the firstborn is supposed to inherit the promise. Isn't that correct? The firstborn or the first begotten, he is supposed to be blessed by his father. And you recall the story. But let's begin reading at verse uh, 15 in the 12th chapter. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Now, here we have a type, another type. Abraham, through Hagar, produces Ishmael, produces the law, produces bondage. But Abraham, by faith, through Sarah, produces Isaac. Isaac now, through Rebekah, him and Rebekah, had two children, Esau and Jacob. We see the parallel again. Esau stands for natural Israel. Jacob stands for spiritual Israel. We find out that Esau sold his birthright, which was a type of Israel, the natural seed of Abraham. See, natural seed. Remember Isaac was offered up on the altar? Isaac's blood could never save you. The reason why he didn't let him go through with it was because had he shed his blood, had natural Isaac shed his blood, he was sin-stained. He couldn't enter into eternal covenant. His blood couldn't agree with the blood of God. And so again, he stained the hand of Abraham, you see, and provided an innocent animal with innocent blood, which was again a type of an innocent person having innocent blood, an innocent Isaac. See, this Isaac, the natural Isaac was not innocent. The natural Isaac was blood stained, uh, sin in his blood, you see. Now, Esau then sold his birthright. That's the nation of Israel. If you think about it, Israel, who should have received the inheritance, who was nurtured under the law to a position whereby they could receive the adoption of sons, the first one, they didn't inherit the promise. They sold their birthright. They crucified their blood covenant partner. Let's read on. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected and he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now remember, this Esau is a type of Israel. Israel, once they crucified Jehovah, once they sold their birthright, they couldn't come back to God. They were rejected. Their city was desolate. I mean, they were just left desolate. Their nation was scattered. Their temple was destroyed. They couldn't get back to God. You see, that was Esau. That's what that's a type of. For you're not come, look at the next. For you're not come under the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor under blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched this, the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. Hold your place there and go back to Galatians 4 real quick. Let's look at this parallel a little bit closer. That's talking about Mount Sinai where the law was given. And Esau was a type of the nation of Israel. And as far as Abraham is concerned in the flesh, by faith, even by faith, I'm talking about faith, when he, through Sarah, conceived a child, still Abraham's faith was not strong enough to cleanse his own blood to produce a child that would be spotless in his blood to go into covenant. And that's why we have the two offspring, Esau and Jacob. It's showing you the parallel that there's going to be a spiritual side, not only a natural side. It's not the natural seed of Abraham that have the promise. It is the supernatural seed or the spiritual seed of Abraham that has the promise. And that came by the way of Jacob. Let's look again at verse 24. Which things are an allegory for these are the two covenants 
For the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth or gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is. That's natural Israel. That's Mount Sinai. We're not, we've not come to that, he's saying. They came to the mountain. They have the written law. It's produced bondage. It's a type of Abraham working and trying to work out a covenant with God when he couldn't do it in the flesh. Because his sin, again, was in his blood. But now it goes on to say in verse 26, But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Now, hold your place go back to Hebrews. 12th chapter. See, in verse 20, they could not endure the commandment. And even if uh, they touched the mountain, they would be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But you are come unto Mount Sion. Now go back, see? You've got to go back and, and realize. Mount Sinai, Mount Zion. Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim. Mount of cursing, Mount of blessing. First covenant, second covenant. We've not come to that, he's telling these Galatian people, he's telling the Hebrew people. We've not come to that first covenant. We've not come to that first mountain. We've not come to, that, to the law, the written law. But we have come, look what it says here, to Sion, under the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, not the natural earthly Jerusalem, but the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, well, the other one couldn't do that, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. That's where we've come. That's who we've come to. And see, go back there. You're in Hebrews. Go back to chapter 6 now. Abram, Abraham patiently endured, in verse 15, he patiently endured, he received the promise, for men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, number one, God swore, Number two, God cannot lie. Two immutable things. God swore, God cannot lie. It was impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth in that, into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, in other words, the first covenant with its law and ordinances and the, the commandments and so on and so forth, Mount Sinai and all these things, and the priesthood, all they can do is provide a high priest that could go under there once a year with the sacrifice. But he swore to Abraham to carry out this covenant, fulfill this covenant through Jesus who would come and bring us to Mount Sion, not a natural Jerusalem, but a supernatural heavenly Jerusalem, who would open up the way where our forerunner has entered into, who is Jesus, and we can follow him in by that new and living way into the presence and the Shekinah glory of God and stand before his presence, spotless and blameless, just like Jesus. See, that's what he's trying to show these people. They couldn't understand it. But go back to Galatians 4. Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. He's not talking about natural Jerusalem. He's talking about spiritual Jerusalem. See, not Esau, but Jacob. He's talking about spiritual Israel. Now, in verse 27, For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she with hath an husband. Now we, brethren, are, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Now hold your place there. Leave your marker there. And go to the Romans, book of Romans, the ninth chapter. And let's, again, tie in some loose ends. Mount Sinai gendereth to bondage or gives birth to bondage. The first covenant would only give them bondage. It would not give them liberty. And if they went back to live under that, they'd be bound. But the second covenant was going to give them liberty 
It would give them access into the adoption of sons. It would give them access into the holies of holies. Now look at this. In verse 4. Who are the Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the, living, the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? Who are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came? Who is over all? God blessed be forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God hath taken an effect, for they are not all Israel which are Israel. They're not all Israel which are Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham, they are all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise, these are counted for the seed. For it is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also hath conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, wait a minute. He's not talking literally about Esau and Jacob. He's talking about these two nations. Coming out, starting with Abraham, through Isaac, coming out of the loins of Isaac and Rebekah, Esau and Jacob, the, na the natural seed. See, the natural Israel is not all Israel. It's the spiritual Israel that's counted for the seed. And so what he's trying to relate to these people here is that spiritual Israel would be not only the natural seed if they would accept Christ, but it would be the Gentiles that would be adopted into the family of God through promise. So not all of Israel is Israel. Only spiritual Israel would be comprised of the natural seed and the spiritual seed that would all come to Jesus Christ. And look at the first chapter, verses 28 and 29, how he proves this out. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. See, that's the natural descendants of Abraham. The natural seed of Abraham, Romans 1, 28, 29. The natural seed of Abraham, the Jewish nation, they were not the spiritual seed. See, some Jews today think that just because that their Abraham was their father, they think that they have eternal life. I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong chapter, didn't I? Second chapter, verses 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. So you see, the outward circumcision, the natural seed of Abraham, which could only produce the first covenant, which could only produce a natural nation, Israel, a literal, natural nation in the earth. They were not the seed. They were only those that were instructed until the time of the Father when they would be adopted into the family just like the Gentiles. It was not a natural seed that he was working with, but he was working with them to produce a spiritual seed. Look at the next verse. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So Paul is explaining to these people, you guys are so bound up in the first covenant, you're so bound up by the law, you think that because you're a natural Jew, you have rights and privileges, you think that you're in the covenant with God, you think you have fellowship with God, and you're still living under the first covenant. He says, no, God was not working with you. You were not, the, you know, the Messiah did not come in Isaac or Abraham. Their, their blood was stained with sin. Just because you're a natural seed of Abraham don't mean you have anything. But it was the supernatural seed. Now look at Galatians, the third chapter again. Go back there. We were in the fourth. Go back to the third. Look at verse 20. Well, look at... Um, let's start with verse 21. Is the law then against the promise of God? God forbid. If there had been given a law which could have given life, verily righteous should have come by the law. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin. All, even Jews. 
that the promise by faith that Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster or teacher to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we're no longer under the schoolmaster, for you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed. See, the natural Jew was not Abraham's seed. Abraham's seed was a spiritual seed. Abraham in the flesh can only produce a natural nation. And that natural nation could not provide a redeemer. And when you go back there and realize that Abraham could not produce a child to redeem, really, it was a type of this. Man could not produce a redeemer. Abraham could not produce a child that could redeem the human race. Abraham couldn't redeem the human race. Isaac couldn't redeem the human race. Jacob couldn't redeem the human race. And the whole nation of Israel couldn't redeem the human race. See, he had he was his inability to produce a seed. But by faith, he can believe for this and only this. A seed whereby, through that lineage, the natural seed, it would make way for God to send a seed into the earth so that that seed could enter into the second covenant and provide redemption for the human race. Now, that's what he's trying to explain to them. Go back to the fourth chapter. <clears throat> but look at this. Verse 28. Now, we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. In other words, Ishmael persecuted Isaac. You remember back there when they were living together and how he all got on his case and there was all kind of problems between Abraham, Hagar, Ishmael, Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac, you can imagine, you can imagine living in one family, one father, two, one real wife, one handmaiden, having a son that way and having a uh, natural son. There was all kind of conflict. And he that was born after the flesh persecuted he that was born after the spirit. You and I are born after the spirit. He's talking about natural Israel persecuted spiritual Israel. When, when those Jews got born again and they became the spiritual seed of Abraham, the natural seed persecuted them. And he's saying right now that that's exactly what's going on. They're trying to kill. Paul was one of them, wasn't he? He was a persecutor of the church. He, being a natural Jew, was persecuting he that was born after the Spirit. That's what it's saying right here. Just as Ishmael persecuted Isaac, so here we see Israel, natural Israel, is persecuting spiritual Israel. See, they didn't see it. They were blind. Okay, but look at the next verse. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. In other words, cast out the first covenant and the law. Cast it out. Get rid of the first, take it away, and establish the second, you see. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir. Natural Israel sold their birthright because they rebelled against the covenant against the work of God, and so they would not be heir. The natural descendants would not be an heir of promise, as it says right here. They wouldn't be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. We are the spiritual descendants of Abraham. We belong to the new covenant. They should have been adopted into it, but since they refused, you remember over there in the book of Romans 11, chapter, God cut them out of the tree. They were kicked out. They were cast out. And when Hagar and Ishmael hit the road, he kicked them out, you see. Then Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac had peace in their household. And so once this covenant was fulfilled, you see, and the new covenant came into being, the next verse applies to all those that are in. Stand fast in the liberty where Christ has set you free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That allegory between the, really the true natural seed of Abraham and the supernatural seed of Abraham has got to be seen to understand what he's saying here. Now, I want to show you something. Here he's talking about standing fast. And Jesus would come. He would fulfill that covenant. He would do in the spirit all that was done in the natural. He would take away the first. He would establish the second. 
He would set you free indeed. Let's read the rest of this in this light now. I want to show you here in chapter 5. It shouldn't have been, it should have been another chapter. It should have just continued right on. He's telling them, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty where Christ has set you free. Don't be entangled again to the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you, if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Now listen. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Now you take that scripture in the light of the covenant and you begin to find out what he's saying as the law was to the first covenant. You had to keep the law, the ordinances, and so on and so forth, and the sacrifices, as the law pertained to the first covenant, you see. Now faith and love pertain to the new covenant. We don't need the law and all the ordinances now. You see, love is the fulfilling of the law. All you and I have to do, not by the works of the flesh. You're not going to be justified by going to church three times a week, reading your Bible and doing the works of the flesh. If there's anything that a person that's in the new covenant should be concerned about is getting all the faith you can get and getting all the love you can get and walking in them both. Because in Christ Jesus, it doesn't profit you any works of the flesh. You can go to church a hundred times a day if you can find a place to go that many times a day. You're not going to be justified. It's not going to do any good. But get some faith and get some love. Get as much faith and love as you can and begin to walk in it. That's the issue of the new covenant. He's saying in Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew under the law. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised. The only issue is faith working by love. That's the new covenant. See? And he goes through all this detail to, to bring this to their understanding. That the first covenant is put away and the second covenant is far better. And you've got to get into this covenant by faith. No works of the flesh whatsoever. Don't get back under bondage. Don't get back to Sinai. Don't, don't get back to Egypt. But get to Mount Zion. Stand on Mount Zion. Stand where heavenly Jerusalem is. Walk by faith and walk in love. I advise you as the body of Christ, get as much faith as you can. You say, I get, I don't, don't ever get tired of hearing faith. You can have what you say. Don't ever get tired of hearing faith because the only thing that matters in the new covenant, faith working by love. You can know the Bible from front to cover. If your faith don't work, I'll show, you, I'll show you a person that's going to be living in poverty, sickness. I'm going to show you an individual that's going to be living pressured by the circumstances of life in defeat. And if you don't understand how, you know, walking in God's love, you're going to be defeated also because it's love that never fails. But I'll tell you, you show, show me a man that knows his covenant. You show me a man that knows faith. And you show me a man that walks in love. And I'll show you somebody who's winning over the devil, winning over sickness, winning over disease. Winning over poverty. Winning over all the forces that surround him. Because he's walking in faith by love. So you see, that's the issue of the new covenant. Okay. Now that's what he's explaining to them. So stand fast now in this liberty where Christ has set you free. Now I want to share with you. Remember over there in Hebrews 12 where we talked about the blood of Jesus speaketh better things than that of Abel? The fullness of time has come. Jesus has just declared, I'm coming into the earth to do your will. Mary just said, be it done unto me according unto your word. He's coming to fulfill the old and take it away and to establish the new. A better covenant established upon better promises. Now he's coming to do it. He's going to fulfill this allegory, you see, that he's given here to these people. He's going to fulfill this. He's going to take the place of spiritual Isaac, you see, Christ, the spotless blood. Now remember, when he comes to the earth, his blood is 100% pure, human and God. He's a 100% human being. He's 100% God. And he's mingled together to carry out the covenant. Let's look at Hebrews, the 8th chapter, and verse 6. And let's now begin to explain it so that we can see it from the light of the new covenant and see how Jesus would fulfill that which the old covenant stood for and go a step further to better it by providing what that covenant could not provide for man. Alright? Look at verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. Uh, circle that. Now we see the better covenant established upon better promises. Better covenant, better promises. Because his blood would speak of better 
things. Notice that way back from the beginning, God always told man blood was necessary if you're going to be in right standing with me. Where there is no shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Okay? Now here, the blood of Jesus is about to speak better things. Let's go through some of those better things right now. First of all, in Matthew... Don't, if you don't want to turn to him, it's all right. Matthew 28, 26. This is the new covenant. Of the new, this is my blood in the New Testament shed for the many for the remission of sins. The old covenant could not provide what? Remission of sins. But the blood of Jesus could provide the remission of sins. That's one thing better. Isn't that better? Okay. Romans 5, 9. Romans 5, 9 says that we are justified by His blood. Justified by His blood. Remember, under the first covenant, there would no flesh be justified by the works of the law. So that blood of bulls and of goats could not provide justification. But Jesus' blood would speak better things and it would provide justification. Now, Hebrews 13, 12. You're close by, so turn to that one. Hebrews 13, 12. Sanctification. You could not be sanctified in spirit under the old covenant by the blood of bulls and goats. Wherefore Jesus, verse 12, 13 chapter, verse 12, Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. The blood of Jesus speaketh better things than that of Abel. First John 1 John 1.7 says that we are cleansed by his blood. If we, conf- if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. Cleansing by the blood. That's better, isn't it? That's be- they were only covered by the blood. You are cleansed by the blood. That's a better covenant, isn't it? That's a better promise, isn't it? Cleansed by the blood. Not just covered by the blood. Cleansed by the blood. Over there in Colossians 1.20, we have peace through the blood. It provides peace through the blood of His cross. Then over there in Ephesians 2.13, we are made nigh by the blood. We draw near to God by the blood of Jesus. And that's talking about the whole covenant. Go there real quick. Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 13. Speaking better things. The blood of Jesus. Abel's blood spoke. He being dead yet, his blood yet speaketh. But the blood of Jesus, when he died, spoke better things. This is what this blood meant. Look at that verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law, the commandments, and contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you that were afar off and them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. That's the blood of Jesus making you a way to the Father by the Spirit. That's a better thing. Hebrews 9, 14 and 15 says we have an eternal inheritance by this blood. Eternal inheritance. They were promised a land flowing with milk and honey. And thank God for that land. What an inheritance that they had, a land flowing with milk and honey. But you and I have been promised a land in glory. Eternal. That's better, isn't it? Isn't that better than what they had? A Canaan's land? Bless God, you and I, we've got the land of God. See, that's our eternal inheritance. Hebrews 9, 14, 15. Then Colossians 1, 14, we have redemption through His blood. We're having redemption through His blood. You see, they couldn't provide eternal redemption. All that can provide was covering for sin. Now listen to this last one. It'll bless your heart. Revelation 12 and verse 11. We quote it all the time. We overcome by the what? You know what that is? Final victory. We have final victory through the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. That's the end of all things. Final victory is going to come by the blood of the Lamb. And it would do you good to do a study on the blood of Jesus and really just blood throughout the, throughout the Bible. And you're going to find out that this blood, what this blood has done for you and me in this covenant is devastating. But it provides you all these things. Now what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh condemns sin in the flesh. 
So you see, the law couldn't do it. But Jesus came in to do it because Abraham fulfilled his covenant and gave God an access and an avenue whereby this seed could come in to do all these goodies we're talking about right now. And that's exactly what he's going to do. But now what we need to do, we need to go back and find out exactly how he did it, how he fulfilled the law, how he took the high priestly ministry and fulfilled it and accomplished everything, how he entered into the holies of holies, how he took his blood, how he offered his blood, how he entered into eternal redemption with the Father and did all those things, you see, so that you and I could be spotless before him. Now we have to see that. That's the new covenant. And uh, before I close, I want to just give you somewhat of a story. If we can get it all on there, praise God. If not, that's okay too. But I know there's a lot in there. I really don't have enough time before but we want to get out to Sunday morning to have our Lord's Supper. I don't have enough time to go through this in depth and show you step by step. I want to give you the highlights and you can do the studying for yourself. But we're going to have the covenant meal teaching on Wednesday and then we're going to partake of that covenant meal on Sunday. But I want to give you a covenant story that the Bible talks about so that you can have a good, clear understanding now of what Jesus is going to do. You remember the story of Jonathan and David? It's all it's in Second Sam, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. Jonathan and David. Jonathan was of the house of Saul. He, it's a covenant story. It's a, it's a blood covenant story. Jonathan was in the house of Saul. And Jonathan loved David. David was considered to be a man after God's own heart. And Jonathan thought like David did. But Saul and his family, his household, rebelled against the things of God. They were like the human race. They were like the world. Always rebelling against God. But Jonathan, for some reason, the only one in the family, had a reverence for God. He loved God. He was opposite of his family, Saul and his family. David, being a man after God's own heart, standing for the things of God, was approached by Jonathan, and Jonathan said, I want to make a covenant with you. I want to enter into a covenant with you, a covenant relationship, a blood covenant relationship. And they began to proceed to cut the covenant. They did all the things we talked about, the shedding of the blood, the exchange of their gifts, the swords, the strength, all, everything. My life is your life, your life is my life. Well, again, we see two people going into covenant relationship, David standing for God, but Jonathan stands for the house of Saul, and the house of Saul is rebellious against God, just like the world was rebelling against God. How then can David enter into a covenant with a man whose family is against God and saying that my family and your family will be in an eternal covenant? How can he do such a thing? Two can't walk together except they be agreed. They weren't agreeing in the things of God. But Jonathan was 100% different than his family. He did believe in God. He did serve God. He did love God. And his heart was knit unto David because David loved God. He was 100% in favor of the things of God. So he got together with David and went into a covenant relationship. When they went into this covenant relationship, sealed the covenant with their blood, it meant that their households together forever would be in union. Now, Saul and his family stands, of course, for the world and Jonathan stands for Jesus. Jesus really came to a world where nobody accepted him. The people didn't want him. They rebelled against him. Everyone was unlike him. Nobody was 100% for the things of God. They were like the family of Saul. See, Saul's family was rebelling against the things of God. So was the world rebelling against the things of God. Jonathan, you see, was different. Jesus came to a world just like Jonathan being in that family. And when Jesus came here, you see, the body that was prepared, nobody thought like he thought. Nobody had the blood that he had. Nobody had 100% the things of God. But Jonathan was 100% of the family of Saul. And Jesus was 100% man of the family of the human race. See, David stands for, really, the Father God. Jesus entered into a relationship of covenant with the Father, which was typified in Jonathan entering into a blood covenant relationship with David. Now, because of this blood covenant relationship, that meant that their family after them would forever be knit together. 
And the Bible says that their hearts were knit together. All that they had belonged to each other. Now, years go by. Jonathan dies. He's dead. He's gone. David becomes king. And David one day says, Is there anybody left of the household of Saul? Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.